Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. A quick reminder before we get started, any advice provided by Brandon is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Brandon Vanderkolk is authorized to provide general financial product advice in Australia and is authorized representative number 1305795 of Guideway Financial Services Proprietary Limited. Limited, AFSL number 420367. Please see the description box for Brandon's financial services guide. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future investment returns. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. We are back once again, a day late and a dollar short. Isn't that the same? No, a day late because... Um, because I've just gotten back from Sydney. Hamish, how are you going down there in Melbourne anyway? Yeah, I'm doing great. We're on a bit of a, an even more of a bootlegged uh, setup. <laughs> than, than, normally we're on a bit of a sketchy, huge lag setup, but the lag was so bad today that we, we're now on a phone call, but we still have the video like Skype up with the audio muted. So we've got video so we can see each other, but it's delayed by like two seconds. <laughs> it's so funny just watching you. I'm just like hearing you pretty much in real time and then yeah. just watching your, your, your blah, blah, blah afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. It's so discombobulating. <laughs> anyway, yeah. We have had, I mean, we have, we've checked over our last few podcasts and they've actually sounded pretty good. Surprisingly, yeah. Surprisingly, we've been struggling so much with lag lately. Um, so we, we have got a very bootlegged setup, but yeah. we are determined to still bring you this podcast. Lag will not defeat us. The yep. distance will not defeat us. Mm. We are here and we will keep podcasting. Just we will. keep podcasting. Even if it takes us an hour and 45 minutes to record a 50-minute podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, geez. Let's, let's, uh, let's try and not do that this week. Let's, um, let's, let's uh, well, hopefully not because we don't have any lag. So, I'll, you know, assuming we don't have any other issues, touch wood, um, mm. then... Um, Fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be okay. Yeah, so you, uh, yeah, so we're doing the podcast a day later because, um, yeah, you're in, you're in Sydney. What was, uh, what was going on in Sydney? Yeah. It was really cool, actually. <clears throat> I got to go to a talk um, that was had a, c- a couple of different presenters, but the the key keynote speaker was Sir Richard Branson, 
mm. um, the guy that founded the Virgin Group. So um, that was really cool. Yeah, I went up uh, with Tash and we um, we went to this conference. Tash went to the TikTok Awards. That was kind of interesting. It oh, kind yeah. of coincided with the yeah with the Australian TikTok Awards. So she went over to that. And um, yeah, then yeah, the next day we uh, we got up and we went to this this talk and they had a um, uh, a few people. There's um, what's her name? Brittany Saunders. She is the founder of Fate the Label. She's a YouTuber turned uh, businesswoman, right. founder of Fate the Clothing Label. And who else did we listen to? We listened to Ty Lopez. Ty oh, Lopez was there. Really? Yeah. So he's still yeah. he's still operating. He's still around. He's still operating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's just a, a marketing guru. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know Ty Lopez, if you've seen his YouTube content, um, it's it's very heavily kind of marketing focused. Uh, I mean, he's he's good at it. He's good at marketing. Um, he he sells a, he sells a, a lot of a lot of coaching courses. That's for damn sure. Mm. <laughs> he makes a lot of money doing that. Um, but I don't know. It was interesting listening to Ty Lopez. I, I kind of before yesterday, I kind of saw him as just this pure like money grabbing scammy kind of marketing dude he was actually a pretty good speaker like yeah i actually didn't didn't mind sitting down and listening to him for an hour talk about his career and how he does things and how he markets stuff i mean it was actually pretty interesting um yeah but uh but yeah then um but then finally we got to sir richard branson so he is in australia currently because he just kind of relaunched uh, Virgin Voyages, which is their cruise line business. He right. told a very interesting story. Um, I didn't know this, but he launched Virgin Voyages the week that COVID broke out in the Western world. Oh, really? How brutal is that? Yeah. How brutal is that? That's, yeah. um, that's and some timing. <laughs> I never really thought about it, but it, that one of the questions was like, how have you been affected by COVID and how, how are you doing now? And I didn't really think about it, but Richard Branson is probably one of the people who was most affected business-wise because mm. airlines, Virgin, obviously, um, Virgin Voyages just launched, immediately shut down, and also um, Virgin, uh, Virgin Active, the fitness clubs all over the world. So gyms, airlines, cruise ships, bang, 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 yeah. nothing, nothing. That's crazy. So he was saying that he spent about, before the pandemic, it was about 90% of his time was spent on his uh, non-profit ventures. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, he was like straight back into insane hours working with all his business partners to try and just like save or like do the best possible job they could um, to save the businesses, uh, which was crazy. Yeah. Wow. It turned out that he he told us that um, it was him that orchestrated the... Um, the takeover of Virgin Australia by Bain Capital. Remember right. how we were yep. talking about uh, Virgin going bankrupt? It, it was right. him. He actually called, call, he has good relations with the people at Bain Capital and called them and asked them if they'd, they'd consider stepping in to recapitalize and, and take over the business. And, and they, they agreed. So, right. um, yeah, it was really good, actually. He's got a, he's got a great story. Uh, I definitely admire him as an entrepreneur. Um, he's kind of, while he, He's definitely for profit. Like he, he runs a lot of for profit businesses. He goes about the way I like the way he goes about it. He's very um, adventurous, very uh, open to ideas, um, 
doesn't like settling for the status quo, that kind of thing. Uh, and one of the key takeaways as well, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a bit here. No, but one of the key takeaways I found was um, he was asked like, what, what do you attribute, you know, your business success to? And he is a big believer in Warren Buffett's rule number one of investing, which is don't lose money. So <laughs> it's kind of, he didn't say it in, in those exact words, but he said, look, yeah. as an entrepreneur, we're always pushing the limits. You know, the entrepreneur is the person that is pushing the boundaries and creating the new stuff of the world. But um, he said, very importantly in his career, he's always tried to uh, minimize his risk of losses mm. um, and focusing on the downsides or the potential downsides is imperative if you want yeah. to be a successful entrepreneur. So he was talking a lot about that, which is interesting. Yeah. He noted that when he first started Virgin, he bought one Boeing plane. So it's not like he was putting in a big order with Boeing, like some of the other, he bought one Boeing plane and he negotiated that if Virgin failed, he could just give Boeing back the plane after a year and get his money back. And somehow he negotiated that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, a, a lot about protecting your downside, yeah. minimizing downside risk. So I took a lot out of that. Yeah. And I think like a, a big thing that I noticed that's common with some of these people is uh, uh, avoiding risks where you can, the if you if you're wrong, you get completely wiped out like where there's, you know, yeah. a massive loss of capital, whether it's kind of a Buffett approach or, or you know, avoiding taking on huge amounts of debt that could just wipe out the entire business. Like you can still take risk. You obviously need to take calculated risk, but yeah, avoiding and, and yeah, as you said, focusing on like the the downside. So that's interesting to hear that, um, yeah, that was a kind of a feature in his um, success as well. Mm. Yeah, also just, yeah, just so seemed like a really genuine guy. You know how sometimes you listen to people speaking, you're like, this is fake. <laughs> yeah. There was no nothing nothing fake about Richard Branson. Um, he was very, and you know, I, I like one of the things that personally irks me is when a, a business leader gives a talk and they just kind of come across like they're God's gift to humanity and that mm. they only do good and they're not do, like for Richard. He was talking about um, you know his efforts in in trying to solve the climate issue. And he by no means was saying, you know, he's a saint and this and that. He was like, yeah, Virgin, we're, de we're developing this fully renewable biofuel that uh, he actually used in the plane that he flew to Australia uh, with. So that was a wow. big thing. You know, back in the day, he, um, you know, he convinced Boeing to make planes out of carbon fiber because Boeing said, no, it's not possible. And then he actually instructed his team to make a plane out of carbon fiber and fly it around the world and then landed at Boeing and say, you can do this, please do it. Wow. And so he's done all these cool things, but he, he doesn't like, he doesn't go down the path of being like, I am the best, you know, I am the biggest, best business leader and I only do good. Like he was very yeah. upfront and saying, look, we, we feel like we need to do this because if we look realistically at our businesses, like we contribute to a lot of this carbon stuff, like cruise ships, not great, you know, plane flights, not great. So we feel yeah. like he wasn't saying that, oh, we're, we're leading the way in the charge to renewable. It was just like, look, we think we really ought to balance the books, especially with the businesses that we run. So um, it was good to hear him kind of speak in a very real way, um, not just like floating his boat for an hour, which is mm. what you get with a lot of business leaders. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. I've never really looked at his story or um, you know, how he, how he built his businesses at all. He's just been one of those that I, I, I'm obviously aware of who he is, but I haven't kind of looked into mm. it. So I'll, um, now you've, yeah. you've piqued my interest. I'll have to, I'll have to do some extra digging now. 
Yeah. No, it was, it was good. Overall, it was good. I'm glad I went. Um, it was good to hear his perspective on things. Uh, but yeah, they're probably my takeaways. So there you go. You've saved yourself a couple hundred bucks in ticket costs, everyone. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, all right, Hamish. What are we talking about? Oh my gosh, talk about a slow news week, Hamish. No, no, talk no, no, no. About you, a slow. News. Don't, don't. We're not doing this again. We're we're hyping up every episode. Hype. <laughs> there Ultra was hype. There Ultra was hype. so much news this week. It blew me away. I had to. I wanted to include so many stories that I I chose not to. We include. had to cut this down. We had to cut it down. It was a three-hour podcast, actually. Um, before I, <laughs> it's before been I, edited. I no, there's um, there's a few actually interesting stories. We had uh, Google announced a new AI uh, language model, um, which was uh, very interesting. We got the RBA uh, rate decision here in Australia. Uh, I saw an interesting story uh, in the age around uh, billionaires' in inheritance and uh, how that's kind of shifting uh, over time. Uh, what do we else we got? We got a we got a GTA Six trailer Ooh. finally. Um, mm. after whatever it has been ten years or so. Uh, what else yeah. have we got? Yeah. Uh, and then I'm just talking about uh Helen Toner, one of the fire or the one of the board members from OpenAI that stepped down has just done an interview sharing her perspective on the Ooh. on the situation. So I'll talk about that as well. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, today's episode is brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics. Access 10 years of financial data and company filings. And manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for seven days. And you can also get a $50 off coupon if it's your first time signing up uh, to a Seeking Alpha premium subscription. So seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors uh, and go check out uh, Seeking Alpha if you haven't already. Sounds good. All right. Where, oh, where do we start? Can we talk about Rockstar? Yes. That's, that's really well. You know, we yep. actually, we got a comment uh, on last week's episode specifically asking, what was your reaction to the GTA 6 trailer? <laughs> really? Um, so we, 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 we will cover that. But it, it is obviously a bit of a bigger story than just um, GTA 6 <laughs> um, in that this is, this is Rockstar, this is Take-Two Interactive, uh, this is their next big game. And, and what's probably going to be the biggest game of all time, if not second biggest yeah. behind Minecraft. So um, this is actually quite quite a big deal in the industry of, of video gaming. So um, I thought I would take you through it. So yes, on Monday night, they announced the game along with its first trailer. We always knew the game was coming, but they officially announced it along with the first trailer for the game. Um, if you don't know Rockstar, they are known for pretty much... How, how would you describe Rockstar, Hamish? What sort of games does Rockstar make? Um, just really awesome, uh, like open world, exploration, long story mode kind of type games that are yeah. super high quality. Super and detailed. Yeah, and they yeah. only bring out kind of a new iteration of the game every decade or even longer in some cases, um, yeah. whether it's their Red Dead Redemption um uh, series right um which uh so the yep. last game i think came out a few years ago but then I, I can't actually remember when the one before that was i think it was about a decade earlier mm. um and the same thing is true for their gta series i think the last game was 2012 or 13 12 or 13 yeah um, i think so yeah 
So 2013, yeah. Yeah, so um but they always uh come out and and blow us away with um yeah. And it's also kind of refreshing to have a studio that doesn't just make a new version of the game that's slightly better every single year just to sell another copy yep. of the game. Um yeah. There are a lot of different models in the video game world. Of course, the one that kind of gets a bit tedious and frustrating is something like a Call of, Call Duty, of Duty or even some of the sports games where it, there's a new game every single year, but the improvements are only very minor, kind of like an iPhone update. The improvements are only very minor and it kind yeah. of makes you, you know, when the new iPhone comes out, there's you're not really that wowed it's not it's not game changing whereas rockstar in their video game world <clears throat> they do the complete opposite where it's a long time between drinks but when that new game comes around it's a massive leap forward yeah um and and, and yeah they focus on making each game as insanely high quality as possible as as good as they possibly can so that you know you know, they put all their eggs into this one basket. They sell it. It's amazing. Everybody buys it as opposed to just trying to keep people on the hook year after year with a slight improvement. Anyway, that is what uh, Rockstar do. That is, um, yeah, that is that is their strategy. Um, so the new game, the trailer was what? A minute and a half, two minutes long. And it looks as though gamers are going to be returning to Vice City. So the game's Florida setting. Um, quote here is Grand Theft Auto 6 continues our efforts to push the limits of what's possible in highly immersive story-driven open world experiences, said Sam Hauser, founder of Rockstar Games. We're thrilled to be able to share this new vision with players everywhere. Hmm. So the new game will come to Sony's PlayStation 5 and Microsoft Xbox Series X and Series S consoles, Take-Two said in a statement. But um, I don't know if you've already seen, people are getting a little bit annoyed that they didn't straight up announce that it will come out on PC. Um, I think similarly to what happened with Red Dead Redemption 2, this will come, but it will come a little bit later. I'm not too sure. Yeah, that... I think they normally do that with their games, right? I think even GTA yeah. 5 came to the PC quite a bit later than their console releases, as far as I'm remembering. Um, right. So I think that's, yeah, been pretty normal for them. But yeah, it is a strange, it is strange for them to do that considering PC is probably a very large audience, especially for a game that you can really um, uh, ratchet up the the quality and, and it, it it does pay yeah. actually to have a really beefy like PC like you can get a lot more out of game uh, a GTA game or a Red Dead with a with a yeah. PC that can be um, do a lot more than mods a graphics packs all that yeah. sort of stuff yeah if if you guys have played Grand Theft Auto Five and you've played it on PC with some you know graphics textures it's a it's an insanely different game to what it looks like on you know I remember when I got it back on Xbox Three Sixty Grand Theft Auto Five <laughs> and it's night and day so it really yeah. can look like a modern game and play like a modern game even though it was built back in uh, twenty thirteen. Uh, yeah. Or released in 2013, I should say. So yes, um, I think I think you're right. I think the PC will obviously come. It will just won't be at launch. Um, and why why is this a big deal? Uh, I kind of hinted at it before, but I think this is uh, this this game this game's announcement is a big deal because it probably will be close to the best selling game of all time. Um, so I'll talk about their other games. So as of November 2023, Red Dead Redemption 2 has sold 57 million units worldwide. 
Um, that was released in October 2018. So it cost them between $370 million and $540 million to make. Um, and in 2018 alone, it made $1.38 billion. So that's the strategy of Crazy. put all your eggs into the one basket, spend a lot on the game, and then bang, release it, and everyone buys it because they trust that it's going to be high quality, and they made $1.38 billion in 2018 alone. But um, the other game that we really need to compare to is Grand Theft Auto V. Um, so that, as we were talking about, debuted in 2013. It's now the second best-selling video game in history, having sold more than 190 million copies. So this means the game has done over $7.7 billion in sales. So that's the kind of money we're talking about. And this, this yeah. game, I should say cost them i don't know how much it's cost them post launch but up until launch it cost them 265 million usd to make yeah grand theft auto 5 it's just insane that a game one single game can make almost 10 billion dollars like that's just an enormous amount and you could even argue that they probably could have made even more considering in um video games most games they're, they're they're priced pretty standardly but if you think about how much like time you get out of a GTA game, they could easily charge yeah. or probably should be charging more uh, than a Call of I Duty where you get, you know, four hours of, of a campaign and then you play the same multiplayer again. Uh, it's kind of mm. crazy that the the standard is that every game is whatever it is, 90 US dollars or whatever the standard is now. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe even, uh, yeah, as you said, yeah, maybe with GTA 6, they'll be able to, um, or they will charge a higher price and then, you know, we can, we can see how it really does. Um, yeah, that is my sneaking suspicion. Yeah. That is my sneaking suspicion. Yeah. That I they mean, will it's... come in at a higher price point, but it, I mean, people will pay it because they have like, that's the thing about Rockstar. People have, people trust micro, uh, people trust Rockstar. Yeah. I should say they really do trust them. Yeah. Um, they, they put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of review time, a lot of attention to detail into each game they make. So yeah. this this one, uh, I can imagine it costing them a hell of a lot more than $265 million. But um, but yes, I think the if they do this one right, this could very well be the uh, biggest game of all time. Yeah, and I think I think one I, of the I should I should actually sorry, say sorry I should actually say the biggest game of all time, as I was saying before, is Minecraft. Um, and that sold over 300 million copies. So yeah, wow. GTA 5 is at 190 million copies, uh, Minecraft at 300 million. So it takes some doing, but I think it has a chance. Yeah. All, all I was going to say was I think actually one of the developers um, act- of GTA 6 actually made a comment about how games should be priced more similarly to how much game time you get out of those games. Um, like games where yeah. you're getting 60 hours, 80 hours of content um, it makes sense that they would, they would they would cost more than a game where you spend a few hours playing a campaign and then you put it on the shelf and never play it again. So I think you're right. I think mm. it's very likely we'll we'll see different pricing for GTA Six. Yep, yep. And to answer your 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 question, what was your reaction to the GTA Six trailer? I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> what was your reaction, Hamish? Yeah, I think the thing I noticed the most was how populated the city was so it, yes. in the trailer and, and maybe it's not going to be 
like that. I mean, we, we've certainly seen lots of trailers <laughs> disappoint in the last couple of years. Cyberpunk. Um, so, yes, yeah, Cyberpunk, I think, is probably the, the shining example. There's some <laughs> hilarious uh, compilations of like the pre-rendered uh, content that they put out before release and then what the game actually looked like. What transpired. Yeah, like a one-pixel burger. <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally two pixels. <laughs> two pixels of a person. You got a top pixel and a bottom pixel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if it really is that populated, then especially as uh, we kind of compared it to the GTA V trailer, the pop, the pop, how populated the city looks is nine days. It's like 10x, yeah. 20x more populated. Yeah. Um, so, so that will be interesting to see if, if that's the case, lots of new vehicles, lots of new, um, animals like alligators. It looks like there's all kinds of new stuff. Obviously they'll port in a lot of, um, stuff from GTA five, but uh, it does look like they're adding quite a lot of new stuff. Um, yeah, looks like they're porting in a lot of stuff from Red Dead Redemption 2 yes. as well. If you look at kind of the swamp environments and that kind of stuff, that looked very Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm excited, man. Coming out in 2025. Oh, I know. so long to wait. Ah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be... It's all right. Take your time, Rockstar. It comes <laughs> out when it comes out. Just <clears throat> release a polished game. Yeah. Please. Yeah, I just if Rockstar comes out with a game that is is disappointing, like it's really like rusty, like a lot of games have been recently, then that's a really really bad sign for the entire industry. Because there has been a lot of complaints yeah. over the last few years that that uh, costs have been just cut back dramatically, and games have a lot of games have been disappointing from even big studios mm. that have have been historically very very good at putting out consistently good games. Um, so I guess we'll see. I, I guess we'll find out in, in two years or in a year and a half. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. Come on. Yeah. Anyway, that is uh, that was us talking a lot about a video game that doesn't come out for two years. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Um, I saw um, Take Two's uh, stock went up a lot on the when they announced that there would be a trailer. Um, a few, oh, really? few weeks ago, it was up like maybe 10 or 20%, which is kind of funny. Wow. Um, that, wow. yeah, it shows how much, yeah. um, uh, investors, uh, uh, think that game will have an impact on, on, uh, the company's performance, at least over the next couple of years. Uh-huh. Yep. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Um... All right, cool. Well, let's wrap up that discussion, Hamish. And what should we talk about next? Yeah, let's talk about uh, Google. Um, so Google, uh, of course, has been uh, in the uh, AI language model 
uh, uh, competition for for some time. We've we've heard about Bard, um, although it's it's been um, pretty substantially weaker than uh, their open AI rival um, chat GPT. However, uh, Google recently announced this week uh, their latest uh, competition with, uh, with OpenAI. They unveiled Gemini AI, um, which is a, a brand new um, language model. And we don't know too much about it, although there were, they did post kind of a few uh, demos online. And I think the most interesting thing about this particular model uh, of course, there's all kinds of benchmarks and, and you know, they'll claim that they're, they're, they're beating ChatGPT in a bunch of benchmarks. But I think the most interesting thing to understand from a consumer perspective is the fact that it's multi, the multimodality. So essentially, um, the way Google described this is that OpenAI has different AI language models that they've trained on different inputs. So they've kind of got ChatGPT, which is text-based. Uh, they've got DAL-E, which is uh, 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 images and then they have like Whisper, which is audio. So they're all kind of separate language models. Whereas Google is claiming that Gemini is trained on all of the different inputs. Uh, so text, code, images, audio, and video, which basically means right. it's an anything to anything model. So you can use any of those inputs once it's kind of developed, once it's it's coming out, right. um, any of those inputs to get any of those other inputs on or, or any of those outputs. Um, yep. So for example, they kind of, Again, they kind of showed a couple of demos. One of them was they they showed like a live video feed into Gemini and Gemini was able to explain what it was seeing in real time on text and in, in with audio. It was also able to explain what it was seeing in multiple languages at the same time. So it was just in real time being able to translate what it was seeing. Uh, the person was kind of drawing a duck freehand Um and it was able to tell what a free, like just a freehand drawing of a duck. It, it first it thought it was a bird and then he kind of added water and it's like, oh, it's a, it's a bird in water. It's probably a duck. Um, right. And then the, That's crazy. The interesting thing was he then pulled out a rubber duck uh, and simply by squeezing the rubber duck and it making that noise, Gemini was able to work out that it's plastic and it's hollow and therefore would likely float, um, which I thought was kind <laughs> of impressive um, that it was able to infer that from... Just a simple video. Yeah. Um, so that kind of gives That's, you an idea that of, is crazy. of how this, um, well, it gives you, again, like a nice little window into how AI is going to come more and more into our uh, our lives. That so you can just show it a video feed uh, and it can interpret that. Um, and then, you know, vice versa as well, um, that it could turn text into creating some kind of um, video or photo as well. Um mm. It was, uh, it was also, they also, I thought this was a cool demo. They did kind of the three cups with the ball underneath one of the cups thing where you put one of the ball under the cup and then you yep. shuffle them around. It did that and it was able to um, follow where the ball was. They did some magic tricks and it actually, like a human, guessed the wrong hand, but then after was able to figure out, oh, you used a trick. You used the sleight of hand trick, <laughs> which I thought was oh, kind of right. interesting. Like they... It was they did like kind of the coin transfer between hands and it guessed the wrong hand. And then after it was like, oh, I guessed the wrong hand. You used the sleight of hand trick. And it was it was kind of creepy how like it sounded exactly like if you were doing that to a child. <laughs> like mm. like if you did that trick to a child, it would pick the wrong hand and then realize, oh, you you did something. Like you you did something. You tricked me. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I thought That's that crazy. that was kind of interesting. Um and there's a there was a bunch of other demos that they did, just little demos on um on YouTube. So you can go um, kind of check them out um, if you're interested. Um, 
And uh, they also announced it's going to be available in kind of three different versions, three different sizes. So they have Gemini Ultra, which is their most capable model, which will be for complex tasks. Uh, they have a pro version, which is kind of the most broad model for doing most tasks. And I think that over time will be integrated into BARD. Um, so that'll be kind of the right. consumer um, version that we can kind of interface with. Uh, and then there's a nano version, which is a, a less effective, but more efficient version that they'll be deploying on mobile devices. Um, right. So, uh, yeah. There you go. That's that's hectic. Yeah, that's... Um, I will be very keen to have a bit of a play around with this one because this... It sounds cool. It sounds cool. Yeah. And, and it, and it, yeah, again, it gives us kind of a window into a future where you have kind of a very strong general AI where um, you can combine text, audio inputs, maybe even a video input if, if it's required for the context and get answers rather than just being stuck in kind of one lane. Um, like you can, you can get it to write an essay and then you can also ask the same AI to develop a picture that works well for the article or whatever. Like, there's it, it's mm. more kind of a one-stop shop like a one piece of um, technology that you can interface with for all of your all of your work um, I guess it makes sense for Google to do it this way as well because they're kind of just turning Google or Google search into AI because you think about like yeah. what what can you Google search you've got web search you've got image search yep. you've got video search yeah you've got all these different search functionalities and I guess there, I would imagine their thinking is, can we? Obviously, AI <clears throat> is now going to be the next, the next, or text-based. These language models are going to be the next iteration of that searching function. So, can we just consolidate everything, all the different types of search that we offer, into one general solution that's powered by a strong AI model? Yeah, it makes sense to me why they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's basically kind of all of the information we got, there was a, there's a bunch of, if you want to nerd out, you can go and look at uh, all of the different tests and benchmarks that they do. And, and they, they obviously, they think that um, it's much more capable than uh, chat GPT, but maybe they would have some response and say, we would do the benchmarking a different way or something like that. Um, but uh, regardless, it's supposed to be very, very competitive. Um, mm. Yeah. Was this on a, was this a YouTube presentation? Like where, where, where did you find all this? Uh, yeah, so th there's information on the, on the Gemini website, but yeah, they did a, uh, I, I just found clips on the, the Google oh, YouTube okay. page. I'm not sure if there was like a full presentation, but, oh, um, okay. they've at least uploaded kind of a bunch of one, two minute clips, uh, with different demos. Um, so yeah, on the right. Google YouTube channel. Uh, yeah. Let's have a look. See, <clears throat> Um, Gemini just thought that there's, uh, yeah, there's not really one that's popping up a four and a half, uh, a four and a half minute video from Google. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably the one. Yeah. yeah interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Wowie Hamish. It's, um, certainly it's crazy to think when was chat GPT released chat GPT release date like end of last year end of last the 30th of november 2020 it's been like a year dude it's been yeah. a year yeah give One us a year give us a decade of this and it's 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 gonna be kind of crazy um yeah uh, how much that's, it's that's insane us. yeah that is insane yeah true 
Aye, aye, aye. It's certainly the trend. All right. Is that um, is that all we had to talk about with uh, Gemini AI? Yep. Yep. That's uh, that's right, it. Cool. That's it. Um, you want to talk about Helen Toner? Yeah. So uh, yeah, give us the give us the inside scoop. What's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> she was one of the <clears throat> one of the members of um, OpenAI's board <clears throat> that got well that stepped down eventually. She voted um, to get rid of Sam Altman, and then we we know what happened after that. Sam Altman, all the employees threatened to quit, and Sam Altman was reinstated, and the board stepped down. Um, so she has recently done an interview with the Wall Street Journal. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she's finally given kind of her side of the story. Um, so uh, Helen Turner is a 31-year-old academic from... She's Australian. Did you know that, Hamish? I did not. She's an Aussie. There yeah. you go. Um, also known for being a former board member of OpenAI. Yes, that's what we are talking about. Tona maintains that safety wasn't the reason the board wanted to fire Altman. Rather, it was a lack of trust. On that basis, she said dismissing him was consistent with the OpenAI board's duty to ensure AI systems are built responsibly. Okay. Quote, our goal in firing Sam was to strengthen OpenAI and make it more able to achieve its mission, she said in an interview with the Wall Street Journal. How does that sit with you? Does that uh, What's your initial reaction to that? Does that sound like BS or does that sound like she's got a leg to stand on? Um, I don't know, honestly, but it doesn't sound like she wrote it. <laughs> so yeah. it sounds like, sounds like something <laughs> the PR, your PR manager writes. Um, yeah, the PR department has definitely, definitely gone over that one a few times, mm. but yeah, I mean, it was in an interview with wall street journal, so it's coming out of her own mouth. Yeah. Um, Tona held on to that belief when amid a revolt by employees, amid a revolt by employees over Altman's firing, a lawyer for OpenAI said she could be in violation of her fiduciary duties if the board's decision to fire him led the company to fall apart, Tona said. He was trying to claim, quote, he was trying to claim that it would be illegal for us to not resign immediately because if the company fell apart, we would be in breach of our fiduciary duties, she, cho- she told the journal. Quote, but OpenAI is a very unusual organization and the nonprofit mission to ensure AGI benefits all of humanity comes first, she said, referring to artificial general intelligence. Uh, I don't know. I, like, I'm no lawyer, but... I don't know. Could she really make that argument that if you don't step down, you are doing something illegal? Yeah, I don't <laughs> I know don't, about that. I don't know. I don't know where she found that lawyer, um, but she should probably. No, that get... was the that was the OpenAI lawyer against her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't yeah, I, saying you better step well, down or you might be doing something illegal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know though. I don't. I don't know what where that lawyer got that from though. I, last time I checked, making a business decision is not a breach of fiduciary uh, duties, yeah. but, uh, but I don't know. Who knows? Certainly seems like a little bit of um, blackmail to get her to step down with the rest of the board. But yeah, interesting that she doesn't, she didn't really go into much detail on this whole ousting of Sam Altman stepping down. It's kind of weird. She, she didn't have any kind of major things to point to. Um <clears throat> It says here in the article, in the interview, Tona declined to provide specific details on why she and the three others voted to fire Altman from OpenAI. Uh, Before his ousting, however, Altman and Tona had clashed, 
So there was one kind of argy-bargy. So it says, in October, Turner, who is a director of strategy at a think tank in Washington, D.C., co-wrote a paper on AI safety. The paper said OpenAI's launch of ChatGPT sparked a, quote, sense of urgency inside major tech companies, end quote, that led them to fast-track AI products to keep up. It also said Anthropic, an OpenAI competitor, avoided, quote, stoking the flames of AI hype, end quote, by waiting to release its chatbot. Um, after publication, Altman confronted Toner, saying she had harmed OpenAI by criticizing the company so publicly. Um, then he went behind her back. People familiar with the situation said, so I don't know how much you can trust that. Um, Altman approached other board members, trying to convince each to fire Toner. Later, some board members swapped notes on their individual discussions with Altman. The group concluded that in one discussion with a board member, Altman left a misleading perception that another member thought that Toner should leave, the people said. So Mm. there might have been a little bit of Sam Altman not liking Helen Toner, trying to convince the other board members to actually get rid of her. Um, That's... A bit up in the air. Again, I don't know how much you can believe this, but it seems like that there was a bit of a clash. Yeah. And Sam Altman might have told some porky pies just to try and convince the other people that Helen Toner needs to go. And then when Helen Toner uh, had a chat with the other board members and figured out that this was being kind of constructed by Sam Altman, maybe that's then led them to say, you're not trustworthy, Sam. We need to vote you out. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it ma- makes sense. Um, I think, you know, we'll never really know. <laughs> um, and this kind yeah, of... Th- no. we're, not, we're never going to know the, the actual yeah. truth. And this kind of like boardroom politics stuff probably happens all the time. Um, and yeah. you'll never... It's a, it's a lot of, you know, he said, she said, uh, yeah. stuff that will never be proven. Um, and, you know, just yep. kind of is how it is. Sometimes, I don't know. Um, uh, Yeah, but it is interesting to hear her kind of perspective on it. Um, Because, yeah, there there has been kind of a lot of speculation, I think, like conspiracy, I guess, that it was around the safety of uh, open AI and whether it had, you know, achieved some kind of general intelligence or something like that. Um, This this, this story... (laughs) It's coming for us. Yeah, I mean, this story makes, uh, you know, more sense. Yeah. certainly sounds more grounded in reality than than some of the speculation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think I have anything more to add on that. Um, yeah, it's just kind of continuing the story. By this point, several of OpenAI's then-directors had already had concerns about Altman's honesty. People familiar with, the th- with their thinking said... Zephyr Sunseat Toner, parts of which were previously reported by The New Yorker, added to what those people said was a series of actions that slowly chipped away at their trust in Altman and led to his unexpected firing on the Friday before Thanksgiving. Um, in the in the interview, Toner didn't answer questions about her interactions with Altman. She wouldn't comment on whether she would have done anything differently, but said that she had good intentions. Quote, I think the I think looking forward is the best path from here, Tona said. So it sounds mm. like she's trying to put it all behind her and move on. Yeah. Yeah. Get a nice uh-huh. uh nice nice positive piece with the was the Wall Street Journal uh before you yeah. try and get hired somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. State your case so that yeah. yeah people can hire you again and move on. 
Yeah. yeah. Anyway, there we go, Hamish Hodder. There we go. More mm. drama in the Sam Altman realm. Okay. Well, it's a good. At least it isn't uh, general AI. So, you know, it's a good thing. We don't. Yeah, we don't at least have. We're not being taken over. No, no. It's it's not. You know, they haven't elected Sambot as um as CEO, um which is which is good. <laughs> Sambot, which, which is good news. Um, but uh, yeah, let, let's. Uh, I, I found a story um from the Age around uh, billionaires and and their inheritance, and I thought it was kind of interesting. It's a story that's kind of been developing throughout this year, but um, uh, there's something specific that happened this week, but. Uh, Billionaires are now right. inheriting more than they're creating. So for the first time in history uh, of the UBS annual study of billionaires, so UBS does this kind of uh, annual study, a new billionaires accumulated more wealth through inheritance than entrepreneurship. Um, so Interesting. Uh, the, typically, um, in, in most years, um, uh, entrepreneurship generates more billionaires um, than just you know money being passed on to, to their heirs. Uh, but the way they kind of measure this is, um, uh, so in, in 2023, I believe it was 2023, uh, 151 billion uh, US dollars was inherited by 53 heirs in the year to, uh, well, in the in the year to uh, April 6, uh, versus mm-hmm. 141 billion US dollars in fortunes of 84 uh, new self-made billionaires. So they're kind of taking all of the people who are kind of considered self-made billionaires. And then taking all of their wealth and kind of attributing that to entrepreneurship, which is probably not a good way to do that, but um, that's kind of the best way we can we can look at it. Um, and for the first uh, first time in history of their their studies, um, more was inherited uh, uh, than was was self made. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, they also. Kind what do you think? This. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, sorry. Continue. I was just going to say, what 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 are your I don't really know how inheritance works in the United States, mm. but I guess this definitely sparks the debate of whether there needs to be some sort of like death tax. Cause this it's so hard because I can understand if you're a parent and you want to devote your life's work to creating a future for your child. Mm. I get that. I, I can respect that. Um, but when does it become, I feel like that needs to be allowed, but to a certain point after which maybe the rest of it kind of gets put back into the economy somehow as a, as opposed to kind of just sitting on the side. I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't, I haven't looked into this in depth, so I'm cautious to, to put forward a washed opinion, but I don't know. What, how do you kind of view the subject? Um, yeah, uh, just just on the just on the death uh, like the inheritance tax, there is actually an estate tax in in the US. I don't think it's um, there is. I'm not actually sure about Australia as well. I'd have to I'd have to check. Um, but yeah, that is kind of mm. obviously uh, it's it's a it's a big point of discussion, uh, especially because if you look back in like US history, for example, there are examples of families building enormous wealth over generations and then eventually yeah. having to have their assets essentially split up. Um, uh, mm. So like the the Rothschilds or uh, 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 the Rockefellers, like so in the if you look kind of go back last two hundred years in the US, there's kind of been these periods of time where families have accrued so much wealth that they kind of just end up owning everything. Um, so it does tend to happen, yeah. but uh, then the other you know uh, 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 side of it is like it's it's not as if kind of money transferring from a billionaire to their children is it's not like that money's just like under a mattress like it's still it's like transferring ownership of maybe a business like the 
the Walton family transferring the ownership of Walmart, the money is still in the economy. It's still invested. That's true. Um, and uh, but what is interesting is if there is a shift in uh, uh, intentions of how generations will spend that money, and that's kind of what the UBS study went into. There's kind of been this dramatic shift, or at least from the people that they surveyed, which is not many people, but from the people that they surveyed, the difference in uh, uh, um, objectives for how to spend that money is is pretty different. So, um, yep. first of all, they kind of noted uh, more than a thousand aging billionaire entrepreneurs uh, are expected to pass on five point two trillion US dollars to their heirs in the next two to three decades. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of money <laughs> that'll be mm. being passed down from one generation to the next. So. Uh, the shift in wealth could have a big impact on how money is invested and spent depending on um, kind of what people's objectives are. And that's kind of what yeah, they the look into. the values of the next generation, I guess. I- I- exactly. Um, and I-, I should note this study is of only 79 people. Um, there- there's obviously only a small subset of, of billionaires yeah. to choose from, but their survey is even smaller. So that's just something to, you know, take this with a giant pinch of salt. It's a, it's a pretty small um, survey or study. Um, but what they found was first-generation billionaires, uh, of those first-generation billionaires, um, the ones that currently have the wealth and that are going to be passing it on, 68% of them cited uh, philanthropic goals uh, or making an impact on the world and society as their main objective. Um, so about 70% um, said that that was kind of their main objective with their money, whereas only 33% of their heirs uh, had the same objective. Um, mm. So far less. Um which uh, could, you know, uh, indicate a shift in, in how, you know, money is invested and spent. Uh, and then the other one was mm. uh, just 16% of heirs are prioritizing uh, enabling or supporting others compared to 48% um, of first-generation mm. billionaires. Um, yep. And, you know, part of that probably uh, uh, lies in, in um, you know, the heirs being younger, uh, obviously, than, than people older. The other big difference is, of course, people who have kind of, made their way up um, are far more likely to want to help others than someone who just inherits an enormous amount of money. Um, that, mm. that tends to be a big shift. Uh, and again, it's just a small, yeah. it's only 80 people that they saw, 79 people that they surveyed. Um, so who knows if this yeah. has any relevance, but it is interesting to see that, yeah, okay, we're, we're, we are going to see this big transfer of wealth. And if there is a big difference in, in, in goals and objectives and the way they see the people see the world, uh, we could see money move or invested, you know, invested capital move out of certain places mm. and into. It's interesting that the, those statistics, I guess, like um, this is something that Charlie Munger used to say, and I'm paraphrasing. Um, he, he, he would say he, he got asked a couple of times what he thinks of this massive, you know, these big families that accrue heaps of wealth. And he, he kind of said his answer was that he doesn't really think too much on it because, you know, history suggests that after a few generations, the big families kind of lose all their money anyway. It gets passed down and then it gets spent or gets blown in some, some spectacular fashion. And then, uh, that, that kind of family's generational wealth is, is no more. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. And I guess maybe those, um, maybe those responses give you an indication that 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 trend is playing out. Like it seems like 
yeah. the people inheriting the money do think a little bit more selfishly uh, or, or not even self, but they think less about others, whereas the other people are, you know, all for, you know, supporting the environment, uh, supporting the society and, and whatnot. So I don't know, maybe it is. I think Charlie Munger says usually within three generations, most family, most family wealth yeah. has been just completely destroyed. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that yeah, interesting. That tends to be the case. There are obviously outliers. Um, but, yeah, for but, sure. but that, that does kind of tend to be the case. And it kind of makes sense as well, because if, if, if you don't have wealth and you're trying to build a business, the way you think about taking risk is very different from if you're just given a billion dollars and you can just yeah. try up, you can just drop a hundred million dollars on a business idea that is probably yeah. not worth, um, you know, probably any, garbage. Any, exactly. And it's, you, you know, the way that you think about risk and, and money is, 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 uh, is completely different. Totally different. Um, so, so it kind of makes sense that, yeah, that, that mm. effect does happen where, you know, lots of money is just kind of wasted and then, um, yeah. And then, then yeah. other families can build wealth and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Hamish. That is, is there anything uh, else to this study? Um, that no, was an interesting that's, one. That's pretty much it. This is kind of like an added additional story. It's like a new kind of study around the whole the great wealth transfer story that a lot of people have covered um, on, on YouTube and, and Wall Street Journal did a, did a massive piece on it as well. So if you're interested in, in yep. reading more about this, there's there's tons of stuff about this big multi-trillion dollar transfer that's that's happening. Yeah, nice. Very good. All right. Uh, you want to take us quickly through the RBA's decision, the central bank here in Australia? What do they do? Do they raise interest rates? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll give you uh, I'll, I'll give you a really, really uh, in-depth response. Um, okay. They kept it at 4.35%. That's it. interesting. Done. Gosh, tell me more. No, tell me more. Oh, um, yeah. They just thought, you know, 4.34, the four at the front, great number. And then, you know, decimal point, that makes sense. Um, and then a three, pretty similar to four. Uh, and then five, you know, three, four, five. So, um, yeah. And then slap a percentage sign on the back of that. Um, there you go. <laughs> They went around the room. Pick a number between one and ten. Four. <laughs> How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there we go. Uh, all right. Do we do we want to talk about that at all? Or no, no. no there's, there's, there's nothing to there's, talk there's about. There's nothing to say there. I mean, it, it's all the same right. same lines. Um, same same. All right. Well, let's not spend any time on it then, Hamish. Let's move on to some Q and A questions in that case. And as I always say. Uh, if you'd like to ask a question for Q&A, just leave us a comment on the most recent episode of the Young Invest podcast over on YouTube, mm-hmm. or you can uh, drop a comment in the Spotify question box, which is natively on Spotify. We've actually been getting a few more Spotify questions of late. Normally, it's just YouTube comments, but we've been getting a few on the Spotify comments as well, Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. Um, where should we start, Hamish? Uh, oh, let's start here. Um Love the show, lads. Well, thank you. Uh, for both of you, what was the first stock you bought and how much? First stock that we bought? Well, the first stock that I bought was quite a while ago now. It would have been the Australian Foundation Investment Company, which is not an ETF. It is a listed investment company. Right. So technically, it's actively managed. Um although it is fairly broad market index-like. Um, so I had no idea what I was doing back then. 
Um, I still don't. But, <laughs> um, but um, I spoke to my uncle and my uncle kind of said, ah, look, a lot of Australians, you get a nice dividend payout, it's like 4%. A lot of Australians build their wealth, they reinvest their dividends, they snowball their money through this foundation investment company, this listed investment company. You know, It's just really nice, it's good, whatever. And I was like, all right, sure. And I just, uh, I invested in it. And, and to, to, to its credit, I've made, I still hold those shares actually oh, to really? this day. I never touched them. Yeah. And I've, I have like, I am up on paper, uh, because it is kind of just index ish. It's mm. not, not actually pure passive. It is actively managed, but it's still index ish. So, um, yeah, as the, as the market has performed over the last decade, so of those shares and here I am. <laughs> How about you? What was your first stock? Um, my first one was, uh, NAB, National Australia Bank. Um, oh. so yeah, I think I bought, uh, I don't actually know the amount to be honest. I think it was probably like $800 or a thousand dollars or something like that. Um, yeah, I think I only invested like a, a thousand bucks maybe in my first one. Yeah. <laughs> Not but a this, lot of money. This was before I'd gotten into value investing or anything like that. This was just the first yeah. time I was like, oh, let me just. Uh, put some money in the market. And I remember my thought process was just simply um, that the banks were pretty solid and um, that it was unlikely to, to you know, um, go away or anything like that. It was unlikely to do terribly poorly, I, I, I thought at least. Uh, and it also That's paid a nice... Pretty good thinking for a young guy. Yeah, and it, and it paid a good dividend. I think it paid like a 6 or a 7% dividend yield or something like that. So I was like, all right, that, yep. that'll do. Um, I quickly worked out that every time the dividend paid was paid, the stock would just drop the exact amount of the dividend. So I like made, I, I, for the, a little while, it just made like no money. Like the stock, I'll get the dividend and then the stock would just go down a little bit and it just kind of stayed like that, uh, pretty consistently. I think I do still hold it as well, but I'm not sure. Um, I'd have to, I'd have to check. I'm, I, I, I think I still have it. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, no real deep thinking into that. But I remember about, I think about, I want to say a month or maybe two months after that, um, I started to uh, uh, dollar cost average into uh, an, an ETF, like an Australian ASX ETF. Right. Um, so right. It, it didn't take too long for me to real like to look into. Okay, like if m- my reasoning for buying NAB was it's solid and stable, um, it, there's a much better way to kind of. Uh, get that out of an investment, which is to diversify into the entire Australian market rather than just one individual bank. Um, And that's ultimately, um, that's really my first like decent investment, I guess, was the, was the index fund. Um, Yeah. Nice. Oh, you got on the right track very early, which is good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fortunately. Yeah. I I did me a little while longer. Yeah. I don't think, um, I mean, I had a couple of like, I, I, I mean, I had a couple of just individual picks that were just like horrendous choices when I look back on them. Like I, I, I invested in Vocus Group. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I invested in Vocus Group, which was kind of like telecommunications company. I know nothing about like yeah. Ramsey Healthcare. Like I was all over the place at the start. Um, but at least, yeah, at least I somehow uh, figured out or, or, or I, I learned from the right people that, you know, I should be consistently adding to this index fund. And that's, you know, if I want to play around on the side, that's, that's fine, but let me do this solid thing. Um, yep. And then, you know, then I got into value investing and that took a, um, a major part of my um, 
portfolio as well over time. Mm. Yeah, nice. All right, mm. question. How do you deal with the heartbreak of finding a company that is simply amazing and then you see the price, which is astronomical? Yeah. Um, man. I hate that. That's so common too. It's so common. Yeah, I think- You just um, find this killer business and then it's just so expensive. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is- that's the reality most of the time. I was literally just looking at yeah. a, a Charlie Munger clip um, and he was talking about this, how, you know, most good businesses, most of the time they're 25, 35 times earnings, uh, which means you can buy them at that price. And if they perform really, really well, if they meet expectations, if they exceed expectations, you'll do well. The problem is if they underperform expectations, you'll lose a lot of money. So there's that, there's that element of risk, uh, even though it's a safe company, right? That's That's the whole value investing thing is even though it's a safe business, there can be this uh, risk if you pay too much for the business. Um, but yeah, that's the reality of value investing. Most of the companies you like and that you've analyzed and that you think are good businesses will not be cheap um, uh, for, you know, nine, nine years and 11 months out of a decade. Um, <laughs> that's just the reality yep. of good businesses. And then, you know, some businesses will never be cheap and some will have six months, 12 months, one month where they have some kind of problem where there's a bit of uncertainty around the future of the business and that's where you'll be able to buy them. But it's about kind of my approach has been to build kind of a watch list of all kinds of good companies yep. and just have a ton of patience uh, rather than kind yep. of analyzing a company and then seeing its prices high and then being like, Oh, well maybe I can justify paying this. Just add it to the watch list and you know, maybe sometime in the future it'll, it'll get cheap. Um, I, I kind of viewed Netflix that way in 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 a lot of ways. Um, it, I, I liked the business for a long time, but it was unprofitable. It had so much debt. It was it was extremely expensive. So it was a nice business. Like I I liked what they were doing, but it just had all these elements that just didn't work. So I just kind of shelved it, put it on the put it on the side, and um, you know five you know five years into my investing journey, it it um it it you know became a well i thought it was appropriate right ding, so, ding, ding. yeah it's like that's like a long time it's like a half a decade <laughs> um mm. so sometimes it's like that that's just the nature of value investing yep <clears throat> i think you just got to enjoy the process i think you just got to enjoy the process you got to stay patient you got to enjoy the process of of looking into these businesses yes and you're right it's not the be all and it's not the be all and end all if eventually you do your valuation and you go, oh, you know what? This is quite quite expensive because if you've gone through the process, then you, exactly what you're saying, Hamish, it goes, it goes onto your watch list. So it's, it's there. It's, it's in, it's in the warm bucket. We're, we're not, we're not there yet, but we could, we could act quickly if we needed to. Um, so there, yeah, you yeah. Just, like, exactly what you said, Hamish, just build out your watch list, um, stick with it. And eventually not, not always, not always, but Sometimes, if you have a decent watch list, sometimes eventually something crazy will happen and you yeah. will get that opportunity. Yeah. And it feels good knowing that you've done the digging. It's on your watch list. You you know what price you'd be willing to pay. And then when it does happen, you don't have to stress. You, you could bang, got it. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. bought. You know, there, there's no umming and ahhing. Oh, sh I better go quickly read the last annual report and this and that. And oh, is, is the management still? Oh, nothing. It's just like it's ready to go. Bang take action yeah so yeah there was um it's actually kind of funny because like i there was a, there was a stock that i'd researched a year before COVID hit and 
uh, I'm, I'm so glad I did that research because the stock was only within the price I was willing to pay for, I think like four days or something. <laughs> like it was, yeah. a, it was a ridiculously short time right at the bottom of March was, I, I pretty much bought it on the bottom, like, which was, you know, lucky in, in hindsight. But um, if I hadn't mm. done the research, I would have been starting it then. And I absolutely would have missed that opportunity. So sometimes it's kind of like that. Um, yeah. I think I know the stock you're referencing. Yeah. I just I didn't <laughs> want to throw too many names. <laughs> nah, nah, it's fair. Do you still hold that stock, by the way? Yeah, I do. Or yeah. not anymore. Yeah. You do. Yeah, it's you been do. um it's been it was, quite good. Yeah. Well, it was like your best performer for a long time. What is it still? Yeah, I think it's probably done like sixty percent a year or something like that. So yeah. Wow. Wowie, Hamish. Wowie. Yeah. That was a that was a good it's one. Impressive. <laughs> It was a good one. All right. Um, I remember you and Tom. You and Tom doing a lot of talking back then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. About that one. Anyway. Um, well, guys, that will just about do us for today's episode. Thanks very much for sending in those questions. Um, definitely keep the questions coming, uh, as I said before. Uh, leave us a comment. Even just like topics you want us to discuss. Doesn't even have to be specific questions. If you, if you just want us to cover a topic in the in the podcast, feel free to let us know. Yeah. Um, any major news stories or news stories that you've seen which you feel like would be good for us to cover, definitely just let us know and we'll just chuck it in and talk through it. But apart from that, thanks as always everyone for watching um, and we'll see you guys next week. See you guys. See you guys.